Hello, podcast world. Welcome to Vicarious Living, a show about a couple Midwest dudes breaking down all the beauty that is teen drama TV. James, play for that's not right. James? Yeah. By accepting this t-shirt, you are hired. Now you get to deal with exciting career opportunities. Ooh, nasty. You'll get better at avoiding that. On the job training and inspiring leadership. Alright, the race is on. We have a winner. Here's this. I'm amazed at how tiny my paycheck is. We are doing the work of pathetic lazy morons. <laughs> this spring. From the director of Superbad, the worst job ever might just lead to the best time of his life. Adventureland. Welcome to Vicarious Living. Welcome back to the podcast. Hello, Pat. Hey, man. Hey, man. What's going on? I am so excited tonight. I say that every podcast, but we're it's doing... always genuine, and I can tell tonight it's extra genuine. It's always genuine, always genuine. But tonight it's especially genuine because we're doing an indie movie, and I love indie movies. That's one of the things I know about you. Yeah, I love indie movies, dude. And do you want to give our housekeeping to kick it off, Pat? Sure, a vicarious living podcast. On Instagram and vicarious living pod at gmail.com. Slide in, please. Slide in, please. Have you been checking our Gmail as your one and only job? Diligently. Do you know we have an email? We have an email? <laughs> then you haven't Damn, I, can't, I didn't know I was getting surprised on this. You know how I Hold know. on. So okay. what happened is I got a new phone, mm-hmm. as you might well know. Yeah. And I don't know if both my accounts are tied to it yet. It's a pretty easy thing to tie a Gmail account to your phone, and I would expect that a professional podcaster like yourself would get it locked Listen, and loaded. I can sit here and make excuses all day, but we don't have time for that. Read that email. All right. Here, I'll give you my phone, and okay. you can read it. Okay. Live email read. Here's an email from, it looks like, Henry M. from Cincinnati, Ohio. Oh, cool. Hey, Titled Henry Listener Cubone, exclamation point. Sub VL boys, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, question mark. <clears throat> what year did 90210 release? You talked about the pretty bow ending. Could that be a characteristic shows of the era, a la Family Ties solving every problem in the 80s? Also, any thoughts on the usher, the guy who announces everything happening at the school or ski resort being a stayover from 80s teen movies? Finally, requesting pods on freaks and geeks. That's a great call. Would be dope. <clears throat> Gotta love sage wisdom for the kids. Love, Henry M. Thank you, Henry M., for reaching out. Well, if you'd like, I can handle his first question, and then you can tap into the Usher second question if you want to. Sure. So my stance on that would be, I think the reason they tied everything up is because the cliffhanger generation. I was going to say, you know? I don't know. I would like to know when the cliffhanger fully came into form. I think of the one-armed man 
that being the first cliffhanger, but that goes all the way back to the 60s or 70s. What I'm referring to is there was a television series in the 60s, and then they also made a movie on it with Harrison Ford in 1993, The Fugitive. There, It's like a notorious cliffhanger scene where like at the end of one of the seasons they like figured out like oh the guy who's the killer he's the one-armed man and then it like cliffhanger gotta tune in next week so that to me is the first like notorious like big cliffhanger that i've ever heard of in life you would think like the concept of leaving people wanting more and like craving the next piece of a story is has gone back since stories have been told but the thing is it's just weird that it just didn't seem to happen in 80s teen dramas they didn't really do it like now if you look at tv like i watch vanderpump rules i watch bachelor they now do cliffhangers before every single commercial break let alone end of the episode end of the season so (laughs) it's just like something where i think in the era of short attention spans you have to do a cliffhanger because people will just check out and fast forward and click over to something else or go on instagram And I think like in the 80s, there just wasn't that option. So like they didn't, the need for cliffhangers wasn't as prevalent. And so they could just end an episode. And like when we watch it now, we would be like, that's the end? Yeah. Like we're just, we're done now? That's it? It's over? Okay. So I think it's the, it's how society has changed. And this shrinking of attention spans has led to, no longer everything needs to be tied in a bow and you have to have a cliffhanger every five seconds. I thought that's a pretty good thesis. Okay, his second question. Why don't you attack that? Uh, the second question was about just the... We laughed when we were doing um, uh, She's All That. She's All That. <laughs> about Usher being like the super cool DJ mm-hmm. who is like the school announcer. We don't see him outside of his school DJ booth. Yep. He does the announcements. He knows all the school drama. He's cool as shit. Yep. We're just like, that guy doesn't exist, does he? Like, what's nope. going on with this? This is weird. Uh, very astute point by you. I think that is a nod to these, like, older teen movies where that's just kind of a trope that has kind of long been forgotten. Maybe it was a thing in real life at a certain point. Like, I think nowadays they're just, like, more blatant about it, whereas back in the 80s and 90s they were just like, it's like I, we'd like Fuck to shoehorn it. Usher into this movie, right? What can we do? But yeah, I, I think it's definitely a nod to those those older. Right. TV we want to get him in, but we don't want to just say Usher's in this movie and just like blatantly do it. So let's just make him the fucking DJ. Fuck it. Good opportunity for like the kids listening. If you want like a niche in high school, like maybe you're not on the football team, maybe you're not like the smartest guy, but like you want a niche to kind of carve out, invent the position, be the disc jockey for your school. That guy's getting no pussy, though. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, oh, he's getting no pussy regardless. Well, maybe there's a chance he could parlay it. <laughs> into, if he does a, it in a like a cool, parlay? unique way. Like some guy that nobody knows and it's all of a sudden like, oh, who's doing the announcements? He's actually kind of funny and he plays like cool yeah, music. Whoa, whoa. James is crushing, man. James is crushing. Did you hear that thing he did on like the fucking school dance coming up? Winter Wonderland themed? He's just nailing it. Next thing you know, James has a girlfriend. Take that one, kids. That's free. That's free, kids. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's get <laughs> off of the emails. Thank you, Henry M., for reaching out to us. I don't even remember what his third question was. Uh, oh, do on Freaks and Geeks. Oh, yeah. Third, real quick on his third question. Um, right in the wheelhouse. We have like a list of like 
12 shows we have to do and like 50 movies. There's a plethora of content, dude. There's just so much teen content. Okay, does that does that do it for all of our email questions? Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and make sure I get that app installed on my phone. Yeah, Pat, stop letting the kids down. You're not letting me down and you're not even letting yourself down. You're letting the kids down. That's and not acceptable. It's not acceptable at all. Okay, what movie are we doing tonight, Pat? We are doing Adventureland. I am so excited. Me too. I'm so excited because we haven't really done an indie movie yet on this podcast. Uh, no, I don't think I, we have. I, I don't mean, think so. We, we're doing our staples, our teen drama TV shows. We did some kind of old school teen movies. You this know, is our first like, yeah. Anna from HR was saying we should just do the classics, but I'm going to pull a full on like Bruce Springsteen at a concert or no, I got to think of a band where I actually, what's like a top Bruce Springsteen song born in the USA. Yeah. Like everyone just wants to hear like born in the USA and he's up there doing like the shit from his new album. And you're just like, no, no, <laughs> that's, I feel like what we're doing right now is like Thunder Road. <laughs> <laughs> the kids are yelling like do fucking i want you to name one bruce springsteen song i can't you put I, me on the spot with the email thing I, lasers on you brother i dude you know i'm not Come a music on, he's guy the boss. i'm not i know he's the just boss. like just one i can't think of one and honestly all i think about with bruce springsteen is just corolla always making fun of how much his wife is obsessed with him. And then just like the beginning of every Bruce Springsteen concert is him just going to all the hardworking people out there grinding in the salt mines, all the people who've got a blue collar guys. Okay. And then he slides across the stage and he just yells two, three, four. <laughs> and he's just some like completely disconnected guy from like the people now. Cause he's so famous. But like at the beginning of every show, he tries to talk about like how connected he is. So no, that was me just sidestepping. I have no yeah, idea. You politicked Any- <laughs> your way out of there. <laughs> nice. I'll give you that. Yeah. So what I do not know a song, but what I do know is I'm just going <laughs> to. Yeah. It reminds me of Andy Bernard in an interview with Dwight from The Office. Where <laughs> Capital of Maine is Montpelier, Vermont, which is near Ithaca, New York, where I went to Cornell. Okay, also, moratorium on Cornell talk. Don't want to hear about it. Forget your personal history and learn the history of this company. Should not be a problem. I minored in history in the Ivy League school which I attended. You're not off to a very good start, Bernard. I agree. But in another way, I am off to a very good start, wouldn't you say? Mmm, true. (laughs) But in a way, wouldn't you say I am doing really well right now? That's me, dude. Yeah, I I'm have, Andy Bernard right when now. When I ask someone a very pointed question, I have two acceptable responses. Either A, an answer to that question, or B, enough like filibustering that I completely forget that I asked a question. Yeah. And then that's also acceptable. Cool. So yes, we right now are doing that where we are not playing the hits. We just found a gem, dude. This is one for us. This is one for us from the new album. So from the new album, 2009 Adventureland. Written and directed by Greg Matola. He's done a few things, but his biggest movie that he's directed is Superbad. I've heard of that one. Pretty big hit. Yes. So I think Superbad was like 2007, 
range. It was right before um, yeah. this. Uh, yeah, I don't. My comment was going to be: I didn't know that he also did Superbad, but like for this movie, there's so many big name actors who at the time weren't that big, and I feel like this guy back in 2009, 2007, just had his finger on the pulse of young Hollywood talent. He did. You with me on that? Yes, I'm definitely with you. Because and, Superbad was the same way. Yep. Um, okay, should we read the plot of this movie? Let's do it. So the kids are on the same page with us as we go along. The plot reads as this. In 1987, James Brennan's dreams of a summer European tour before studying at an Ivy League school in New York City are ruined after his parents have a severe career setback. As a result, James must get a summer job to cover his upcoming expenses at the discrepant local amusement park, Adventureland, where he simultaneously falls in love with a witty co-worker, Emily Lewin. In that bizarrely shaded workplace, the young carnies have unforgettable and painful learning experiences about life, love, and trust while James discovers what he truly values, Adventureland. Love it. Love it. Great read. It's indie, dude. It's indie. And at this point in the podcast is when we usually want to guess some Rotten Tomatoes. But we can't. Oops. Oopsie daisies. We have both. Spoiled it on accident. I got to say, dude, in 2020, okay, it's impossible to not this see a Rotten how, Tomatoes. This is how we salvage it. Okay, we've both seen the score, obviously. You still want to guess? Why would we guess? We already know it. On three, let's guess. One, two, three, eighty-eight. 88. <laughs> Nailed it. So I think that's appropriate. My guess before I saw it was going to be about 92. I really wanted it to breach the 90s. Same. Let's see what the audience gave it. See if we're pulsing the people. I be, I, this This feels like one of those movies where the audience is probably right in with the critics on that one. I feel like it's going to be a little lower. That's where the smart money is. I think we've talked oh about Oh my God, dude. <laughs> Why don't you guess the audience score? Now we'll actually guess an audience score. All right, well, you've tipped your hand a little bit. I'm going to go 83. <clears throat> is it in the 70s? I'm going to be pissed. 61. Are you serious? Fuck that. That's uh, I was way off with my thinking that this would be aligned. I should have... We've talked about this before. Anytime there's like a hint of artsiness to a movie... The audience score plummets. I know. And the critic score rises. Hey, kids, you don't like, like art? Like the blockbuster is the complete converse. Of that. I know. I, I, it's that's, weird. It's bullshit. As an indie movie lover, I don't like that. It makes me feel like the audience is like nearing lowest common denominator. And being, I hate it. It bums me out as a human being. Because it's just like standard that other human beings are just like not into good quality stuff. Wake me up, kids, when you like quality, because I want to be woken up. Fuck that, Wake Pat. Me Wake me up. Disappointed. Okay. Disappointed. I'm disappointed. Um, okay, two fun facts, and then we're going to get into our player breakdown. First fun fact, number one. This movie was number one on the 2007 blacklist, most liked unmade films of the year. Do you know about that, the whole blacklist thing? No, no. You never Fill heard of that? No. The blacklist comes out every year and it's like an aggregate. And I don't know who puts the whole list together. I, it might just be like 
producers, Hollywood people, I don't know, but there's a black the list. The Hollywood elite? The Hollywood elite. Okay. There's a black list put together every single year, which is a list of the quote unquote most liked unmade movies of that year. So there's just these like scripts that are like, and some of them sit on there for like multiple years. And there's a lot of like notorious movies in history that have been on that list. And then like people have made it five years later. Like, oh, that was on. Somebody just plucks it out. Yeah. Like, oh, I need a great script. Let me go to the blacklist where I have like these all these great scripts. So I'll just read you some of the some of the hits that have come from that. Juno. It was second on the list in 2005. When did it get made? Like 2008, nine range. Okay. Um, Wolf of Wall Street was on there in 2007. For the first time, it was made in 2013. The Wrestler, unreal movie, indie movie, love that fucking movie. 500 Days of Summer, The Fighter, Up in the Air, American Hustle, Crazy Stupid Love. All these like great movies that have been sitting there and then finally someone makes it and it's like, fuck. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, worst one I saw on there was Will Smith's movie, Seven Pounds. <laughs> That movie's so bad. That's the one with the jellyfish. It's so bad, kids. It's movie so did bad. make me want to have a jellyfish in my house, though. Yeah, it did. It it was like the most jellyfish movie I've ever seen. Yeah. Points. Like that and, and like Nemo, probably. Yeah. Uh second fun fact. This is based on the director's own experience in life working at the actual amusement park Adventureland in Long Island, New York, though, not Pittsburgh. Oh, okay. Nice. So this movie is loosely based on his own life. And that's why I was saying, I think he did super bad, had some like built up juice. So he was a writer and director on this? Yeah. Yeah. So I, my guess is he had this in the bank chambered <laughs> and then he finally like made super bad and it was a huge hit. And then he's like, Hey, you know what? You know what else I got? It just reminded me of like, if we made a movie on our like if if we got some like cachet mm-hmm. ever in Hollywood and then we did this similar thing, but we're like, you know what? We want to make a movie though on our own lives and one of our summer jobs that we had, and we're gonna do it on Grader's ice cream. Be unreal. When we made ice cream for two straight summers for summer jobs together, <laughs> that would be an unreal movie. We would somehow have to inject some like romantic, yeah, notions into it somehow. It's funny. Maybe that- you and I fall in love. Like that <laughs> in, in the ice cream factory. Um, yeah, I did write that one note down though. <laughs> Same thing. I was like, if we did it though on our lives, we're really gonna have to like dig to the bottom of the barrel to find like a witty, super attractive girl who's uh-huh. like she also uh, makes ice cream, or maybe she works yeah. like in marketing. Oh, in the she office. probably works up in the store. Yeah, girls worked up in the store. That's true. We were down in the or factory. Maybe she made candy upstairs. Right, there were some girls there. In the candy warehouse. Yeah, uh, anything to fortuitously trap a girl with us while we were just hanging out with all dudes, being really immature all day, slinging ice cream. Yeah. And, and if that one goes over, then I'd finally make my masterpiece, um, which was is you as a full adult lifeguard. Yeah, do you want to just explain in 30 seconds what the premise of that is for this script you're going to write? Yeah, I just want it to be you out of like like something happens Summer in job. the workforce where you're like, 
probably oh, my you, real life you're job. your age yeah okay and uh like you get fired or, or something terrible happens with the company you get laid off but right. instead of getting uh like a different job in the business world it's like the summer and you're like this fucking sucks uh, nobody's <laughs> hiring and you just get a job at a local pool yeah and it's you as a 32 year old man just mm-hmm. like being you right and you're just like fully injected in all these teens lives like getting way too involved with all these like your teen co-workers yeah did you hear stacy p started hooking up with mikey w no are you serious drama whoa (laughs) mikey w i she's way too good for him i know dude and mikey w's been flirting with fucking tammy d how'd you hear that he told me about it he told me not to tell anyone but fuck it yeah (laughs) summer's almost over who cares fuck it hey but hey you don't tell anyone now you don't tell anyone i think i actually had that idea when we were at the pool and there's these kids getting a little too rambunctious and you were getting all pissed off because their parents were where the fucking parents it's the worst thing about when you go to a fucking public pool and it's like hey mom dad anyone these kids are running fucking wild. They're running wild. They're splashing water all over the young adults here sitting in the pool just trying to have a nice, lovely fucking time. That's all the young adults are trying to do, okay? All right, dude. That's it on my fun facts. Are you ready to get into a player breakdown for our characters in this movie, Pat? Oh, yes. <laughs> Jesse Eisenberg, let's start with him. All right. The poor man's Michael Sarah, who became mm. kind of like the rich man's Michael Sarah. Yeah, he did become a, I, I would say if you go back to arrested development early days and then like super bad days, so you're talking 2003 to 2007 range, he's a poor man's Michael Sarah. But then like the social network hit in like mm-hmm. 2009, 2010, and then it's like now Michael Sarah take a step back. Yeah, dude, that's a good comp. I like that. Um, Eisenberg, seemingly a real great actor. Um, a lot of the times plays like a like nervous energy type guy. I think we used yep. this last week, but like like a sweaty palms guy. Yep. Yeah, I wrote uh, a similar thing. I, I said he's he's unreal at playing a lovable neurotic character. Yeah. So expectations on him are really low, but he kind of delivers at all the right moments. He picks his spots. We said that a lot in the movie. He really picks his spots well. So Jesse Eisenberg, he really had two or three huge years, and he's slowly been tailing off since then. I'd say he's still an A-lister. What's his latest movie? I have no idea. No idea. Um I know in like 2016 he was Lex Luthor, miscast horribly in yeah. Batman versus Superman movies. That's tough. That's not his wheelhouse at all. His wheelhouse is I said he had he plays the same character in this movie Adventureland and then in 2009 he did Zombieland. He plays the exact same role. Yep. And then in Social Network when he plays Mark Zuckerberg, he plays the exact same role. Uh-huh. Those three roles were all in between like 2009 and 2010 and he played basically himself yes and by doing that he became this massive a-lister getting nominated for oscars in the social network but then it's like 
he's out of bullets playing anything else. Like I, he did that. Now you see me movie that also got a sequel where he was like a magician. And then he did the Lex Luthor and something where he, it was him and, um, uh, Marshall from how I met your mother. Did you see that? No, it's good. Andy, maybe you'd probably, is it on Netflix? Yeah. It's on my list. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Marshall plays a famous writer. I think it's the guy who wrote infinite jest. Some guy that I'm not going to be able to pull the name of. Well, either way, he's zerb right into vicarious living at gmail.com. Anyways, that movie's good. <laughs> um, okay, last fun fact on Jesse Eisenberg. I always like try for fun facts on individual characters. I like to just find one nugget. You know, I think it's it's good to go through their career where they really spiked and kind of what their career trajectory has been. But I kind of like just finding one fun fact, kind of like what we did with Jennifer Love Hewitt, where we just uh, uh, talked about, hey, Jennifer Love Hewitt, she only takes baths with a tiara on. Mm-hmm. I felt that was appropriate. Yeah, that was good. That was a nice slice. Yeah. So my slice on Jesse Eisenberg, my one fun fact is that his mom is a professional clown. Really? And has been a professional clown performing at kids' birthday parties for the last 20 years in Brunswick, New Jersey. That's fascinating. Crush City. That's just... Damn, nice it's weird. <laughs> it's weird. It's weird. And, like, I can't even imagine if, like, you know, getting ready for school in the morning and, like, you know, your dad's, he's got his business suit on, dude. Your dad, he's got his briefcase and his mm-hmm. business suit. He's ready to go fucking to business stuff. And then your mom comes down... And she's just like wearing the big clown shoes with the full makeup makeup and outfit and like packing you like a ham sandwich for lunch. It is a (laughs) pretty pretty trippy childhood. I love that though. Yeah. I wonder what his dad's up to and like how weird it would be married to a uh, full on clown. clown. He's probably having sex with a clown. That's a good point, dude. He probably has a clown fetish. Yeah. Because, you know, there are, like, clown fetish people out there. Weird me out. You're looking at one. Hmm. That's cool, dude. Yeah. Hey, no big deal. We all have our thing. We all have our thing. I'm not going to judge. Should we get to our second character? Sure. Kristen Stewart. Probably know her from Little Trilogy Twilight. Yeah. By the way, we mentioned it at the top, but all the actors in this huge are huge. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> this movie is so small and so low budget, but, like, every single like title character in this you will have heard of yeah so we're only going to go through three main ones and then we'll just touch on a couple of the small ones who are now huge stars but let's just hit the main three ones uh who are driving all the plot in this movie the set as we said second one Kristen stewart i feel like i could go on a Kristen stewart like deep dive for 20 minutes and i'm gonna try and just do it you've got a podcast i I just want to rein it in because i'm here i'm not going anywhere okay let me just first say before it's mainly the twilight stuff that bothers me with her that's my big gripe with Kristen stewart is all the twilight stuff is that that's what made her famous right it's what made her beyond famous it made her a crazy a plus lister and it it drives me crazy but uh, hold on i'm one sec my first memory of her is she was in this super indie movie called in the land of women with Meg Ryan and Adam Brody. Okay. And it was like Adam Brody's 
one of his first movies, I think like right after the OC, I want to say it was 2007 range. OC ended in 2006. So I think it was him being like, I've been playing Seth Cohen, this teen <laughs> character for the past four fucking years. And like, I just want to start doing other things and get people to like, think of me outside of like that character. So he did this movie that for me is one of the rare indie movies that didn't really hit. So like I usually like indie movies a lot, indie dramas and comedies, but this one didn't totally work for me. The premise of In the Land of Women was Adam Brody's like 28 years old. He like moves in next door to a mom and her two daughters. Meg and Ryan. The, the mom is Meg Ryan. She's probably in her 50s. And then the oldest daughter is Kristen Stewart. And she's maybe like 17. And so he like starts hooking up with the mom, Meg Ryan. And it's all this taboo of like him saying, this shouldn't be weird. You're an older lady, but I don't care. Like, fuck it. And I think she gets like cancer or something too. And he's like, fucking, I don't, I double don't care. I love you. But then like Kristen Stewart, who is her daughter, has a crush on him. So it's taboo the other way because it's like, a 17 year old wanting to get with someone who's like almost 30 and then it's taboo because it's almost 30 year old wanting to get with someone in their 50s and it just like didn't work you know even when i'm describing it right now does it sound like it's working no <laughs> doesn't doesn't sound like something i'd be interested in yeah shocked that you didn't like it though i know it seems like depressing and weird it was depressing style. and weird and sometimes those movies just don't work for me. Most of the time they do, but that was one where it just didn't. Okay. My weird fun fact on her before I get into all the Twilight stuff is that Harvey Weinstein. Wow. Yes. This, I think this is your fifth mention of him. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it's it just because we share the, the love of beating off into potted plants that we both share. Right, right, right. Harvey Weinstein said in a 2013 interview that... At a Hurricane Katrina charity event that Kristen Stewart was like giving an award or hosting a portion of it. An Arabian prince paid $500,000 to Harvey Weinstein to give to that charity to spend 15 minutes talking with Kristen Stewart. Was he like a big Twilight fan? I guess. Because it's a year or two after twilight came out on DVD. I mean, did he actually give him the money? Did it help the charity? Yeah. And he talked with Kristen Stewart for 15 minutes. Did Kristen Stewart know about this? Yeah. I feel like that's outrageous. That's fuck me money. Yeah. <laughs> definitely, is. <laughs> definitely is. Um, yeah. But yeah, I guess <clears throat> if it goes to charity and no one was harmed. Yeah pretty cool story yeah dude that guy's probably creepy and has done other dark stuff but hey in this one moment kudos oh yeah i guarantee he's like involved with like sex trafficking like a whole bunch of shady stuff yeah he's an arabian prince dude when you're that rich just like throwing money out for 15 minutes with Kristen stewart you're definitely paying for stolen girls at the airport yeah okay her career she started out and i loved her she was like taking this indie path and she was a really good actress, dude. She's a good actress. 
She did Into the Wild, Adventureland, In the Land of Women that I just mentioned, Jumper, Snow White and the Huntsman, The Runaways where she plays Joan Jett, Still Alice, great book, great movie, and American Ultra, which is another movie she did with Jesse Eisenberg. Wait, real quick. Is Jumper the one with Hayden Christensen where you can just kind of appear in places? Oh, yeah. Loved that. That movie's underrated. I know. <laughs> I really wish I had that power. Sorry, go on. I'm, that's why I added it to the list nice. of hits. Nice. So I'm saying she did all these great movies. She's a great actress. And then she did fucking Twilight. And in my opinion, it just ruined her whole fucking career. I mean, she's rich now, though. So... I know because I was reading all these things and it was saying like 2010 and 11, she was the highest paid actress in Hollywood because of the Twilight movies, yeah. like over everyone. And it just bothers me because I don't think she wanted that. Would you rather be a super rich mm-hmm. or be an indie darling? I mean, how rich am I getting if I'm an indie darling? What are we talking here? What's the discrepancy? Okay. No, like 20 million or 15 million a movie by being super rich doing Twilight movies Mm -hmm. or making, you know, you're an indie darling. You hope you can make like, I don't know, uh, a million money to just live, have a house, have a family. I, I know for her personally. Yes. She had to take the Twilight movies, but to me, it's got very much a Heath Ledger vibe to her. Of like she didn't want it, she didn't want that level of fame. You've looked. You think at, it was foisted upon her? I, I think she took it like Heath Ledger took a Knight's Tale. Your whole goal, your whole life, is to make it as a big Hollywood actor or actress. Wait, are we shitting on a Knight's Tale right now? Absolutely not. Good. That's the only <laughs> thing. In, that's the only thing. In this <laughs> that's the analogy. only flawed logic. No, yeah, that, that that doesn't match up <laughs> in this yeah, analogy. Yeah, yeah. But what does match up is. The both of them, they're seeking fame their whole life. Right. He grabs it with a Knight's Tale. She grabs it with Twilight. They yeah, both become yeah. mega A-listers. My point is both of them, though, I think they had that syndrome of like seeing themselves on the posters and on the billboards everywhere, and they didn't like it. I, and, would, I would agree with that. And so from the very little I know about Kristen Stewart, I would say you're spot on. Yes. If you look at all of her decisions, her acting decisions after Twilight, she's gone back to the indie movies. She hasn't really besides Charlie's Angels, which is a movie she did like this year, which is like eight years after the Twilight series. It's the first time she went back to like a big movie kind of thing. So. I liked her better when she was just an indie actress. I understand, though, on a personal level, you got to take that fame. Now let's get into the conversation. Is she hot or not? Yeah. Yeah, I'm into her. Yeah. <laughs> but I think some dudes would say she's not, is, is the reason I asked that question. I feel like some guys are not. Like, they see Kristen Stewart, and they're like, Well, she's got, the, she's got the disheveled vibe. She's got the girl next door, like awkward girl next door vibe that I like a lot. Yeah, I don't think many people are going to fight you on this take. I hope not, kids. Very, very soft lips. <laughs> Can I say that? Yeah, and she just can I? I mean, is this is it uh, overstepping of me to just assume that she's cool? Like she seems cool. She seems so cool. She seems cool. So, um, last fun fact though about the whole Twilight thing to to put a bow on that. While she was filming this movie, Adventureland. The director of Twilight flew to Pittsburgh 
on one of her off days of shooting to audition her for the role of Bella Swan in Twilight, the lead actor, actress. Is she got the role? (laughs) (laughs) So I just thought that was interesting. Okay, should we go to our last big character? Ryan Reynolds. Oh, my God. My shoe brother. Shoe brethren. (laughs) Dude. We've told it before. You We've told it before. Should I tell it again? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we have so many new listeners at this point. That oh, you might good as well. point, Pat. I had a cup of coffee with an internship when I was in Los Angeles, 2009, unpaid, obviously. PR firm also represented one Ryan Reynolds. Free shit is given to these actors. <laughs> every five seconds and there was like a box of free shit in representing ryan reynolds that we had that i had access to because i was an unpaid intern and he didn't take it and so like one of the pr reps who worked at that company just like looked at me some lowly idiot unpaid intern they're like hey do you want this box of shit that we tried to give to ryan reynolds but he just He's rich as fuck and doesn't want, obviously. And I was like, uh, yeah, I'll <laughs> take it. And in that box of shit was a fucking pair of perfectly sized to my feet PF flyers, Bob Cousy PF flyers, brown colored suede that Ryan Reynolds didn't take. So technically a plus B equals C kind of thing. I'm his shoe brother. And I still own the shoes and wear them every once in a while. It's amazing. Yeah. No big deal. Anyways, Ryan Reynolds. What are your thoughts on Ryan Reynolds? Um, Super cool and hot. I mean. Is he too jacked and ripped? No. Because you only know that he's jacked and ripped when he pops the shirt off. Which, in my humble opinion, mm-hmm. is the perfect amount of jacked and ripped. But this is coming from, like, two guys. Right. My question is, ladies. I'm going to confidently speak for 100% of ladies listening to I this. love when you do this. Yeah. I'm stepping out on a limb here. Mm-hmm. If I'm wrong on this, anybody, I'll be checking the email now. <laughs> <laughs> email us at vicariouslivingpod at gmail.com. Or just get at us on Instagram because guess who does check that? I do. Go ahead, Pat. The take is this. Girls that love muscle guys, like they're they're just into muscle guys, whether like they're muscly or not. Right. There is also a section of girls who are just like, I don't like a guy who's like muscly. I think, um, oh shit, who's the, uh, what's that Bill Hader movie with uh, Trainwreck? LeBron James? Yeah, LeBron James and Amy Schumer. You forgot LeBron James' name? I don't know what's worse. Amy Schumer says it the best. She's clear in that movie. She's not a girl who likes muscles. She's banging John Cena. And she's like, I feel like I'm fucking a statue. (laughs) Which is a hilarious line. Anyways, I don't know what's worse. You forgetting LeBron James' name or me not knowing a single Bruce Springsteen song. (laughs) It's close. It's late. It's late. And we're drinking rosé. I feel like it's a little... We are drinking rosé on this pod. Anyways... There is a subsection of girls who doesn't like a muscly guy. Right. So your opinion is that this subsection would not like Ryan Reynolds because he's got an eight pack and like big guns. Right. However, 
when he's got a long sleeve shirt on, he just looks like a skinny, tall, hot guy. With great shoulder, with broad great shoulder, shoulders. With broad shoulders. Yeah. And it's not until he pops that shirt off that you're like, oh, shit, he's jacked. Like, he's got a superhero body. I agree. I just... So I feel like he serves all aspects with that body. I agree 100%. I think that girls, as much as, like, guys think girls love super jacked dudes... So this is a follow-up point to what you're saying, because I agree with you on all the John Cena stuff. I totally agree with that. I think that girls like a like swimmer or soccer bod first and foremost on their dudes. And for me, I think there's a point just like I think guys can get with like that girl's too much. Like she's got big fake boobs. She's had plastic surgery like on her lips. Her face looks like a fucking Barbie doll with like how she's constructed it. I think sometimes with like super ripped Jack dudes, girls have that sort of same feeling. Which is like, it's too much. It's too perfect. It's, where are the flaws? Where's the, like... Ah, uh, okay. I, that That's what I think sometimes keep, all human keep beings... Keep telling yourself that, dude. <laughs> Sweet. That's why I got that swimmer bod, dude. Yeah, dude. Swimmer bod. Or hasn't swum in a long time bod. Okay, Ryan Reynolds, real quick, and then we'll get into the actual movie. Because we have gone way too long in these characters. I have a theory on Ryan Reynolds that his career and personal life they both deviated from the trajectory it was on around 2006 7 range and both his personal life and his career went up to extreme levels but i actually liked it when it wasn't up at like a 10 i liked it better when it was at like a seven and a half like a van wilder yes so my point is 2002 to 2009, he was doing movies like Van Wilder, Waiting in 2005, which is one of my favorite movies ever made. Kids, check that out. Justin Long. And then Adventureland in 2009. In my opinion, that stretch for him is awesome. On a personal level, he was married to, or dating, I can't remember, Alanis Morissette. Nice. Seems like a super awesome, cool chick. Yeah, we're big fans on the pod. Let's play a little. Famously documented. We love her big time. So he was on that trajectory where he was like crushing those movies seven and a half range. And then he went to a full on 10. He's now doing the Deadpool movies. He's a huge movie star. There's Green Lantern. Fucking <laughs> Green Lantern. And he went. From Alanis Morissette to Scarlett Johansson, got married to her, 2008. I forgot about that. And now is married to Blake Lively with two kids. I know he's crushing life, personal and career-wise, but I just liked him a little better when it was like a couple notches below. Yeah, and he's too ripped. And he's and he's slightly too ripped. Yeah, I think that's my big thing on my shoe brother. I, he's at an eleven out of ten. His in life and aspects. his career and his body are too good. You want to just yeah. What, what are you hiding, Ron Reynolds? I just want it dialed down slightly. I like my guys from a body level, from a personal level, and from a career level at like a seven point five or an eight. That's fair. That's where I like them. Fair. Okay, dude. Small characters. Should we hit them quick? Yeah, let's hit them real quick. Very quick. Bill Hader, Kristen Wiig, and one of my favorite guys of all time in all these movies, Martin Short, 
Martin it, Star. <laughs> by the way, uh, that's no disrespect to Martin Short, who is amazing as well. My bad. My bad. My bad, Martin Short. Martin Star, a.k.a. Nappleby. Mm-hmm. Cheats? From Cheats, my favorite underrated movie of all time. He's also in Silicon Valley. He's also in the aforementioned Freaks and Geeks. He's so good in everything he's, he's in. He's just only in good stuff. He's in Super Bad for like five seconds. <laughs> he's just like in so many Judd Apatow stuff. Okay. I'm only going to give one fun fact on all of that, and it's that Bill Hader and Kristen Wiig, they only filmed this movie for four actual days. Really? Yeah. That's amazing. Because they were requ- they <laughs> were doing hilarious. it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> they were doing SNL at this time, so they were just like on a super tight schedule all the time, so they could only do four days. And they were small, but they had a lot of scenes. Yeah, they play like the managers of the park. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Characters over. Let's play a song to transition into the movie. It's the first song we hear. Here it is. use that song to now transition into the movie and to our first clip of the movie which is jesse eisenberg sitting at dinner with his girlfriend to set up the movie here it is james i don't think i can see you anymore you don't what do you mean sorry I just thought that was notable because to me, it's like Jesse Eisenberg gets broken up with and seen one of every fucking movie. He's yeah. In. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I just love a movie where that's the baseline of our character. Just dumped, thrown in the gutter. Let's start. I kind of like that. Yeah. Like start us low, like fucking take us to the bottom of the barrel. But I want to start there. The beauty of this movie is I thought he was the perfect amount of nerd. Because like what would be frustrating and what sometimes is frustrating with a movie where your your main character, your lead, is such a nerd that he's never had any experiences in life. Like just the never kissed a girl nerd. And I that know. gets frustrating and kind of like played out a little bit. So like this guy, he's definitely not super smooth and confident. Like he has had a girlfriend, but like he's not cool. Like he just got yeah. dumped. He's heartbroken, unsure of himself, but like He's in the game still, you know? It's yeah. not like he's like starting from ground zero and needing to figure out how the world works. It's perfect because to that point, how many times have we talked about we don't like the gratuitous stuff? We right. don't like the over the top Just shit. give us a slice of real life. Give it to us. Yeah. I mean, I don't... Give ap- us a guy whose one serious girlfriend dumps him after 11 days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, give us that. That's perfect. We've all been there. He he starts at a low point, and then we realize 
not only does that happen, but then their parent, his parents who were going to like pay for him to go abroad or something right after college, before he goes to grad school, they lose their jobs. And so now he can no longer do that. And he's got to get a summer job at a amusement park. Correct. Right. By the way, I feel like we should admit this not is not necessarily a teen drama. We're cheating a little bit. Early 20s. But like we said, this one's for us. They're in their early 20s. But all the same problems, all the same themes. Exactly. Are there, so fuck off. Fuck off. Kids, how we rationalize this, kids, is we were saying they have yet to start in the workforce. So, like, yes, they're not teens technically, but... I think I was pretty close to being a teen when I graduated college and started valeting cars before I actually got my first real white collar job. Mm -hmm. I would say with the nothingness that was going on in my life at 22 was about as close to being a teen as I possibly could. Yeah. I mean, there's still days where I feel like I'm 14. (laughs) So. Well, you look 14. So is it most days? (laughs) So that's how the movie starts. It starts us off low. Exactly what I love in life, dude. I like the expectations on me low at all times. So I like that we're starting this movie low. He gets a job at this adventure park. And my first question is, would working at an amusement park be a good summer job before you actually get into real life? Yes or no? You brought this up while we were talking about it, and I'm just going to steal your take. It just depends on the context. I mean, like, the goal of a good movie is to just want to, like, suck you into the world where you're like, oh, I want to be there. Mm -hmm. So, like, it seems like a cool job because there's interesting, hilarious characters, and he doesn't really have to work that hard. A girl of his dreams. He meets his dream girl. So, yes. But if you're actually, like, working at a theme park, it could be very shitty depending on your circumstance. Right. Given the context of this movie, it's a great situation. I really am jealous. I wish yes. I did that. Yes. If there's a girl of my dreams, an awkward girl next door who's actually super, super attractive, who's into me, and I'm fortuitously trapped with her every day, then yes. But here's how it can go negative. There's no girl of your dreams. Correct. It's gross, jacked up, like local carny chicks who are like fucking pure trash. Yeah, there was not many carnies working there. No. It was mostly like, I don't know. I have another point on this. So outside of like potential trash carny girls that are working there instead of your Kristen Stewart girl of your dreams uh-huh. about to star in the next Twilight series. Right. Weird tan lines. Oh, yeah. I would say that's the number one deterrent for like that kind of job. You're going to have a bad tan line by the end of the summer. Exactly. You're out in the sun all day. Exactly, and, and you're t-shirt. you're gonna have a farmer's tan from that weird like t-shirt you got to wear. You're gonna all have that. a tan like midway up your calf where your '80s socks are kind of slinking down a little bit. Correct. So that's one. Here's how a second way it could go. Not great, dude. Imagine if you're working at an amusement park and you're 22. You just graduated college. All your fucking friends who are crushing mm-hmm. have like. They had a job lined up. They started working immediately when college ended. Didn't think about that. He's a little too old for this gig. 
Yeah, dude. Imagine you're there and like one of the dudes like comes in. He's got a uh, his first job out of college, killing it, dude. Making fucking 50k a year, 45 whatever it is. He's coming out of the gates swinging strong, like hitting home runs. And you are fucking making $10 an hour. He's making 50k right out of college. And then he's got like a hot girl with him and you're just there fucking working the ball rack. Or like the little basketball game where you pay $10 to take three shots. I feel on like what you just laid out is reality. Right. This movie is like this little dream world that was created. I mean, he does have a couple interactions. I remember the guy with the yellow sweater who wins the banana. That's kind of a dick to him. Yeah. Like his age. That's probably like illustrating those kind of interactions. That's how we go most of the time. Yeah. Okay. So what happens is, is he gets the job. He starts working at the amusement park. He meets the you know, crazy cast, Martin star, uh, his, the girl of his dreams who also works there fortuitously trapped with him, Kristen Stewart. And then I want to play a song while we meet the next main character. I want this playing while we introduce Ryan Reynolds to the fucking kids because the first scene that Ryan Reynolds came in, he comes in and it's fucking perfect dude he plays this role perfectly and this is why i love ryan reynolds at a 7.5 versus the 11 he's the maintenance man at the fucking amusement park he's the guy who's got like peter pan syndrome and he won't grow up and he's still acting like he's 18 and a half years old and he comes in and he's wearing a fucking brown leather jacket sunglasses maintenance man tool belt on his cool hair Guitar case. Fucking guitar case, too. (laughs) And I love him in these type of roles, like, versus the big superhero movies. I just like him as, like, a character actor. He's really good at it. Yeah, he's unreal. I mean, he can't help but play that charismatic, charming guy. I know. But because he's so hot. He totally works for it. I'm glad he, like, became a big star because personal, like, you have to do that. You have to take the paycheck and all that stuff. But I wish he had done what a lot of actors have done, which is like, all right, I did that bullshit. And now I'm like, I'm done with it. I'm bouncing from that scene. But he hasn't. He just came out with that garbage Netflix movie, Six Underground by Michael Bay, <laughs> which I've heard is like one of the worst movies of all time. He's still chasing that like blockbuster bullshit. And I feel like he's better suited as a 7.5 character actor. You're like a guy whose favorite band blows up and they get, I know he sold out, dude, he sold out. And I just liked it better before he sold out because I know he's really hot, but he's a really good character actor is my point. Yeah. That's where I'm at. Okay. Should we get into the plot of this movie? Should we get, um, so we start to get a couple of scenes of just Jesse Eisenberg doing his job at the park, just kind of 
getting his feet wet with all these new friends and all this this kind of this new scene. Uh huh. Um, he's working the racehorse game. Yeah. And just hilarious moment with him and Bill Hader, where Bill Hader's pissed that he's not giving it enough passion, <laughs> essentially. Uh, Bill Hader is all in on uh, that role of owning this amusement park. Yeah, there's so <laughs> many hilarious scenes with him, dude. But anyway, so Eisenberg's just working. We're just getting established at the park. Um, he meets Kristen Stewart during this time. Casual encounter with her. Yep. And there's a moment where um, they're all hanging out in the parking lot after their shift, and he's going to get a ride home with his neighbor or something. And uh, Kristen Stewart's like, oh, I can give you a ride home. And he's like, okay, bullshit. Mm, amazing. And uh, they're all bullshit in the parking lot. And there's this moment that I clocked because he makes a joke. He points that there's graffiti, and it says uh, somebody misspelled uh, Satan Lives. Like they spray-painted Satan Lives uh, on the wall by mm-hmm. the park in the parking lot. And he makes a snarky remark about, oh, they spelled Satan wrong, so it says Satin Lives. Mm-hmm. And he's like all full of himself, like, oh yeah, I'm, yeah. Go- I'm going to grad school next year. I'm like the smart college guy. Yeah. And Kristen Stewart's just like, oh yeah, it's one of those textile worshiping cults, and like <laughs> has this like super dry, fucking funny joke. And he's just like, at that point, he's hooked. He's like, oh my god, this hot girl, she gets my fucking snark. Yeah. And it's like one of those moments where <laughs> he was probably tempted to turn to her and do your thing, where you go. You know what? <laughs> that was actually pretty funny. <laughs> like you don't actually laugh because you're too shocked at what happened. Yeah. So you patronize her. Yeah. But you could tell that was all running through his mind. Luckily, he played it cool. It's one of my least favorite things about myself when I do that because it's the most condescending move <laughs> in the, the entire best. world. Because it's I've, like I've you're totally shocked seen. that someone else. You're like. <laughs> Oh my god, that was actually like really witty and funny. Like, whoa, I was like, oh I god. was earnestly about to laugh at that. Like, seriously, yeah, that's I, like fucking good. Usually, I'm giving courtesy laughs to what you say, but like that was genuinely like very, very witty and funny. And now I'm like laughing for reals. <laughs> <laughs> so he was definitely about yeah. to have that moment, and yeah. he fell in love right there. I know. Yeah, that's a good. I will say this movie had a lot of those little things. Just little things. Little little things. It does. There's not a slow motion shot of her walking down. No. With her hair blowing and like the music cues. It's just that little moment of like, he obviously finds her attractive and then she she can hang. She's quick with like that's his thing. Like yeah. Witty shit. Yes. And it's just like oh, it's on. She doesn't know it yet, but <laughs> it's on right now. Eisenberg knows it. Dude, we know in life it's all about the fucking little things. All about them. Oh my god. A cue vanilla sky. The little things. There's nothing bigger, is there? It's the little things, dude. <laughs> the biggest things of all. <laughs> it's how Cruz, he said it best. Cruz said it best. Okay, um, let's get into a clip from the pool scene because let's go swimming. Oh my god, let's go for a swim. Okay, I'm gonna go for a swim. Okay. Come on. Is anybody else coming in here? It's just, just us.
She's not so bad. No, it's okay. No, it's okay. <laughs> I have so much to break down here. What's happening is Jesse Eisenberg and Kristen Stewart, they go to like a party. There's an impromptu. Let's go in the pool. Mm-hmm. Dude, that is... Well, forbidden. That goes on the totem pole. Oh, my God. Dude. Teen trope totem pole. Put it on there. Swimming pool. If there's a swimming pool at a party and there's a girl who's a little bit of a wild card, she's getting in that pool. And the nervous guy who's like, not sure, just going in with her. I love it. I have so many thoughts on this. Um, I just realized... I first wanted to talk about tidy whities and I accidentally misspelled it and called it titty whities <laughs> <laughs> in my notes, but neither here nor there. I won't fault you. First point on this, tidy whities He's wearing tidy whities Right. Why is this the cliche move for the nerd guy in every single movie where the girl of his dreams jumps into the impromptu let's we're at a party or this isn't our house let's jump into the pool fuck it we might get caught who cares pat who cares jump on in and the guy then has to strip down she's obviously wearing some like very sexual awesome like nice panty situation underwear i think in this movie she's just like a got a t-shirt on she's so hot that's yeah it for us yeah i <laughs> know <laughs> even her wearing a t-shirt doesn't matter and then the guy has to strip down and fucking like clockwork he's always wearing tidy whities and it's like dude guy i get you're a nerd but yeah what is up dude and here here's the thing like why are tidy whities a thing? Why were they ever a thing? I don't Why were know. they ever created? It doesn't make know. sense. I don't it's know. not comfortable. Nope. In white underwear shows poop stains. Like <laughs> Yeah, I know. I can't say that anymore plain and simple. It's simple, kids. It shows them. Skid marks. Yeah. So like for the, guys and girls. The fact that white underwear <laughs> <laughs> became like like a ubiquitous thing. It just doesn't make any fucking sense to me. I remember specifically the exact moment I was in the third grade. I was in gym class and we were changing to go from our our school, Catholic school uniforms into like our gym uniforms that we had at Catholic school. And I remember being in the locker room and it was like third grade and Craig B guy I haven't talked to in at least since third grade, I remember I stripped down. I had tidy whities on, and he gave the, you don't wear boxers. <laughs> oh, my God. Look at this. He doesn't wear boxers. And it was like a seminal moment for me. Like, at the age of nine, I realized, not cool. Yeah, not cool. Not fucking cool. And since then, have never worn fucking tidy whities. That was it. Boom. Done. So the fact that like they always put the nerds who are like 18, 19, 20 fucking two in this movie in tidy whities, I'm just like, that is in the category of uh, gratuitous to me. Doesn't I'm like, sense. that was too much. Doesn't make sense. Second thing on this pool th- scene, pool flirts, dude. Dude. <sighs> Love a good pool flirt. When's the last time you had a pool flirt? <sighs> it's been a while. I'm going on vacation in a couple months. Might try and like do one. Yeah, seek out a pool. Flirt. Do some horseplay. Yeah, I mean a little grab ass and a little horseplay. Never hurt anyone, but um I don't think I've had one since I was nineteen years old. Um <laughs> that includes my now wife. I don't think we've had one in a good a, long time. A nice while. pool flirt. Well uh, so 
off the top of your head, because now now I'm fascinated by the fact that this is such a good movie trope. Can you name a couple like really awesome pool flirt scenes in movies? Yeah, I think of Girl Next Door. Classic. That one is amazing. AF. Garden State. Oh God, yeah, Garden State. That's up there. Good one. That off top of the head work, I go Garden State and Girl Next Door. Those would be off the head. We see them all the time. We see them all the time. Yeah, it's such a staple. Yeah, there, there's been, there's been a lot, dude. I in my head, even though we're only thinking of Girl, <laughs> Girl Next Door and there's Garden w- State, there's a plethora. I know there is. Um. Okay, those are my points on the poll, but now is the point in time where I feel like we need to get into our Ryan Phillippe Practice Hero Award of the Week. Bring it. It's easy to sum it up when you just talk about practice. We sitting here, we in here talking about practice. We talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We talking about practice. We're talking about practice, man. Practice? I mean, how silly is that? First guy on my list, Jesse Eisenberg's childhood friend, Frigo. <laughs> the ball tap expert. Yes. In that, The reason I transition into this award right now is because in that pool scene, there is this clip of him cock-blocking the fuck out of Jesse Eisenberg by yelling this when he's trying to get out of the pool. I'll meet you inside. Okay. Okay. Shit. Boner! You got a boner! Brennan's got a boner! (laughs) He yells boner. I mean, guy. Come on, guy. Guy, come on. Do better than that. Do better than that. So it's that coupled with the fact that the entire fucking movie, he is at a 30 out of fucking 10 and he is nowhere near a part of this story or movie at all all the characters are like i mean they're in their early 20s but they're still kind of wise and mature behind their beyond their years they're like smart and introspective and have great conversations and then there's this random like ball tap guy Uh, this guy you could eliminate him from the entire movie and no one would notice yeah and he's not even funny or interesting or to me it's like there are roles for small characters i.e Kristen wick bill Hader, martin Starr. all those characters are small characters that whenever they're on the screen they're the definition of doing less and crushing with less mm-hmm. yet you have this douche idiot frigo who's like his childhood friend who is doing way too much with the little he's given, and I don't appreciate it. So he is candidate number one. Candidate number two would be Lisa P. Lisa P. She's the hot chick who is like trying to steal Jesse Eisenberg away from Kristen Stewart when they start like getting their flirt going. And then the third one would be this super small character. He was only in one scene, but I just love these douche guys. And anytime there's a douche guy who's in for one scene, being super creepy and weird to ladies. I'm always going to add them in because they are the definition of gratuitous and too much. And it's Jack O'Malley. He's trying to get with Lisa P and he's just this douche eighties guy. And I just want to play a clip of him trying to get with her. Here it is. 
Mm, so it's official. My friend Boomer hooked me up with a job at the Mercedes dealership on Route 30. Yeah, I get in a car right away. Payments deducted from my check. Yeah, I'm gonna go for a 560. Convertible, gold, leather interior. I'm even gonna get a compact disc player. It's gonna be insane. <laughs> to the max. So, Haley, you wanna go see Judas Priest at Civic Arena? My friend Fitzy got me floor seats, so. Um, that's okay. Take Boomer. Oh, and go get the hose. There's dried puke down there. <laughs> you don't like Priest? I'm busy that night. I didn't tell you what night. James. Hmm. You and I should go out some night. Oh, I get it. <laughs> That's a funny one. <laughs> Face and <laughs> douche. <laughs> Just let me know when. Yeah. Pete, dried puke? Douche. <laughs> so, of those three... Who are you going to give it to? Pat. All right, I'm going to work my way through this. I do not want it to be Lisa P because I feel like she had to be the way she was. She was over the top, almost like annoyingly um, airheaded. Is that how I want to say it? She's ditzy. She's like a bimbo. But she's got to be that way because she's beautiful. She's She's so attractive. A 10 out of 10. And she's like the hottest girl in the park. And everybody's always talking about like, oh, Lisa P, like he gets a date with her. And people are like, you got a date with Lisa P, that's insane. And so she has to be that way. So it makes sense as to why he has no interest in her at all, even though she's like really into him. She's scoring some points. She's scoring some points because her she's doing way more than she needs to do. But I feel like it works for her character and the story overall. Yeah. So here's my my comp would be to our practice hero analogy would be. She is doing way too much in practice and all the people on the team hate her, mm-hmm. but like the coach is kind of appreciating it yeah. and wants to reward that person for working so hard in practice. So puts her in the game. Correct. Yeah. Um, so she's off. Okay. The, the guy what was his name. O'Malley. Yeah. I'm going to write him off as well. Definite douche, but I feel like he was also critical to the story and like the characterization of Jesse Eisenberg because he comes in as like this like super confident like uh, lay it out so they can play it out guy yeah who Lisa P has no interest in so like him being there and being the way he is makes it believable as to why all these girls are kind of attracted to Jesse Eisenberg right um, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go with Frigo <laughs> yeah just totally extraneous character just punching people in the dick the whole movie. This was one where, like, even when I was creating the contestants, to me, it was a runaway yeah. for fucking Frigo. Yeah. That guy needs to get fucked. God, he sucked. <laughs> um, As we're on 80s stuff, to me, it's like, this is the point where I, I can't wait any longer. I just got to give. Do it. I got to give it. And to me... It's going back into the camp of it's not going to a character. It's going to a theme of this movie for my M-C-I-T-W-U of the week. Pat, Mm -hmm. that is the Marissa Cooper is the worst of the week. And it is brought to you by our fine sponsors. Our fine sponsors, Wickloware, W-I-C-K-L-O-W, where be free and explore, get all your outdoor gear, Wickloware.com, type in the promo code VL at checkout, get 10% off of your order, kids. $30 on the baseball tees, 
$40 on the hooded sweatshirts and $20 on the tanks. Get all of our swag on wicklowwear.com. The best soft ass glove apparel company in the entire United States. See this shit? Pat's wearing it right now. Swag situations. He's got them around his back. Who do I give it to? I give it to the fucking director, dude. Greg Matola. While I love this movie, the biggest miss in this entire movie for me was how he depicted the 80s. Mm-hmm. Horribly done. This movie is set in 1987. Year of our births. Year of both of our births. And he just picked and chose when he wanted to do 80s stuff. Like half the movie, the characters are in 80s clothes and the other half the movie, they're not. Half the characters have 80s hair, half don't. Okay, I listed a couple out. Ryan Reynolds, the hot guy in the movie, he never wore 80s clothes once. He's just wearing cool 09 guy clothes. He's wearing baggy baggy pants, yeah, which were 09 cool. He has a cool 09 haircut. No 80s hair in the entire movie besides Bill Hader's character. No one had 80s hair or an 80s mustache. What's up? Doesn't make sense. Didn't see it. And then... I feel like Bill Hader carried the mustache load for the whole cast, though. He did. I do appreciate about him. He's carrying <laughs> I, I, mustache I, I, loads. I know you th- know a thing or two about mustache loads. He's carrying mustache loads for everyone. Love that about Bill Hader. Two more things. One, Jesse Eisenberg is wearing 2005 New Balances the entire movie. Jarring. We had him in high school. We wore him every day to school in high school. Yeah. Same with everyone else in our class. I looked it up out of curiosity. New Balance has been in business since <laughs> 1906. But I'm assuming they haven't had the same exact style of shoe. They've changed it up slightly. <laughs> yeah. They had 80s New Balances, dude. And then the last one. From what we know on doing podcasts on 80s movies and shows, shirts did not untuck in the 80s no. they they didn't physically untuck the bottom of your shirt does not breach the belt no and every fucking shirt in this movie is untucked like they were in 09 so to me that's what gets the mcitw if you're gonna go 80s movie or tv show greg matola go all in go all in you want me to give them an out this is the only thing because it was driving me fucking bonkers the whole time we we're watching this the only thing i can think of was we've been talking about it's an indie movie maybe that was the one place or places they cut the budget they didn't have like a 80s yeah like a set director who was like specifically right. in charge of making sure the character's clothing was exactly on theme I feel like the cars and stuff they that, didn't that all play yeah but like they didn't have a costume designer who was like custom creating all these clothes going out to vintage stores finding like an outfit for every every character for every scene finding all the background characters yeah it just might have been something that got overlooked and they're just like fuck it the story is good enough the acting's good enough people won't care yeah because to be honest the first time i saw this movie i had i had no idea that it was set in 87 it looks like it's set in 2009 yeah with i just assumed yeah. i just assumed that that was, that was the case and they just kind of dressed a little strange so Ryan Reynolds, his agent, negotiated way too much money to get him attached. And they were like, all right, well, we had to give Ryan Reynolds 1.5 mil. So I guess what are we going to cut to get that in our indie budget? 
I guess just cut the costume director. Just yeah, everybody fuck just fucking wear what they were wearing yesterday. Yeah. You wear your street clothes. Eisenberg, just put your newbies on and <laughs> roll in. With all that said, we're still going to say Greg Matola, the director, for your lack of continuity and your lack of costume design, points off. I feel like he single-handedly took this from an over-90s Rotten Tomatoes score to an 88. Yeah. Fair enough to say? Fair enough. And fair enough for you, Greg. And with that, we would say be free and explore. Get fucked. Brought to you by Wicklowair. I think that's a really good point, though. That's probably points off why it's not in the 90s. It's 88. Greg Matola. Fucking costume design. Okay. Song time? Let's do it. Sometimes I feel so happy. Sometimes I feel so sad. Sometimes I feel so happy, but mostly you just make me mad. Baby, you just make me mad. Linger on. Velvet Underground. Pale blue eyes. Love it. Lay out Does this, this make scene. our podcast like a little bit cooler that we're breaking down a Velvet Underground song? I'd say yes. It does make us cool. Yeah, we're cool guys. Cool podcast. Velvet Underground. Lou Reed. This is the song that is playing when Jesse Eisenberg and Kristen Stewart have their first kiss. And one of the things we love about Eisenberg in this movie is because he plays this kind of like nervous energy guy. Not good game at all. But there are moments when he delivers the decisiveness. He delivers the goods. He picks a spot and yeah. he's just like, I'm, I'm fucking kissing this girl that I like. And he does it. And she's like caught off guard because she's like, I thought you were the shy nerdy guy who I was going to have to make the first move on. But you made the first move and I'm super into it. He's the king of, he sets expectations low as fuck. Yeah. He sets them so low. And girls, to your point, they're like, thought you were the nerdy guy. What's up? You're not? And then, like, right when they're least expecting it, the music's playing, and he just, like, springs a fucking kiss. He gets aggressive and just springs a kiss, and it's like, I'm going to do this now. Ask questions later. And I fucking love it, dude. To me, I think the key is all about you just want to keep ladies guessing. You never want them to get a, in the gameplay phase. When you're, like, married and stuff. It'd probably get a little exhausting. Yeah, probably get a little more. Um, <laughs> so I was leaving, like, hey, I'm going to go do the podcast. Um, I'll probably be home a little later. Or maybe I won't. Will I? Maybe I'll just, <laughs> just not come home. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to do that when you're, like, in a relationship or married kids. But I would say in the gameplay phase, keeping them guessing like that is right where you want to be. I fucking love it, dude. The other interesting thing about that song is they did that thing we love where it worked 
in two different spots. It worked in that spot when he's going for his first kiss and it's like a upbeat, cool moment and all this shit. And then they also played it at the very end of the movie during a really depressing scene where it's like, whoa, fuck. Yeah. I feel like that, I hadn't seen that before, but I loved it. Usually we talk about how it's cool when a song is played and they keep cutting to different scenes where people are feeling different emotions. But I've never seen the same exact song have a callback with the same character, 100% opposite emotion, same song. I know. I love when they do that. that. I love when they do that, dude. To me, it just shows like the versatility of the song. Song versatility. Shout out Lou Reed. Shout out. Okay. Catch us up on the plot with Ryan Reynolds. We find out he's becoming the antagonist. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds is kind of like uh, Eisenberg's like man crush. He's like, here's this maintenance guy. He's in a band. He's like, got all this life advice for me. He seems cool as shit. Mm -hmm. Like, I like talking to this guy. I kind of want to be this guy. He's my friend. What we find out is Ryan Reynolds is married and having an affair with Kristen Stewart. So, yikes. Yes. So now we thought Ryan Reynolds was maybe like towing that taboo kind of inappropriate line where it's like, okay, he's 28. So him hooking up with a 21 year old, it's like right on that line of, is it too much? But technically he's, it's only like seven years. So it's not the end of the world. But then we find out he's married and it's like, okay, now we've, crossed into the inappropriate line and it's no longer towing taboo you've taken a dump on taboo and you're just (laughs) now fucking the inappropriate side of the line he's also like playing some manipulation games with Kristen stewart and eisenberg yes which i didn't appreciate i didn't but yeah he's like playing this whole thing where he's married obviously so like the fact that he's getting with Kristen stewart is uh abhorrent but he, at the same time, does not want her and Jesse Eisenberg to be happy together. No. Because, like, that's his turf, He's guess. He's always giving advice. Let, let's play a clip of some of the advice that he gives uh, Jesse Eisenberg. She asked you out? You're a fucking idiot if you don't go. It's Lisa P. That girl's a virgin. You believe that? Huh. In this day and age, you think... She's a Catholic girl. They usually won't let you screw them, but what they will let you do. Yeah, but what about him? Right, okay, here's the thing. Every time you meet a beautiful woman, don't you imagine what she'd look like underneath you? Naked? What? No. No? Someone like Lisa P. I mean, Jesus Christ, it's like every cell in your body's on fire, right? That's a little hyperbolic, but yeah, no, I see where you're going. Yeah. That's the way we're wired. It's the way we're wired. It sucks. But it's just a fact of nature. It's also tragic. My feelings for him are vast. James, imagine it. Lisa P. He's always giving advice of like steering him away from her. Yes. He's always steering Jesse Eisenberg away from hooking up with Kristen Stewart because he's like jealous and even though he's married and stuff he wants to keep Kristen Stewart all to himself so whether he's steering Jesse Eisenberg away from Kristen Stewart or he's steering him in the direction of hot Lisa P 
What I will say is that Ryan Reynolds is so fucking hot that all of his advice, it's just like, it's got to be true. Yeah. It's just, he's got to be right. (laughs) But I was talking, we were talking about like, if you got that same advice, like written down on a piece of paper or delivered to you by like a not hot guy, you'd be like, eh, this seems like dog shit advice. But when Ryan Reynolds is telling it to you and you're like, I fucking want to be this guy. You're like, yeah, it sounds, sounds right. I'm in. You know what it reminds me of? I want to go all the way back. Take us. Ryan Reynolds in this movie is very much like JFK. Okay. <laughs> when he was running against Richard Nixon. I'm so nervous for you. Go on. Don't be nervous for me, dude. Okay. This is not anything political. This is simply oh, no, like... Just you delving into history has me a little excited. The only reason I know this is because it's a very seminal moment in like media history. And it's when they were both running against each other for the presidency. And it was the first televised presidential debate. And anyone who watched the debate said that JFK dominated Richard Nixon. And anyone that listened to it on the radio said that Richard Nixon dominated JFK. And so for me, in this scene, if you're watching Ryan Reynolds, it's like... It doesn't really matter what's coming out of his mouth. You're just going to believe whatever the fuck he says. He's got great hair. (laughs) This guy's got great hair. He's super young. He's charismatic. He's got tons of X Factor. And Richard Nixon is some old, crusty man. I feel like you totally nailed that facsimile. I'm totally with you. Yeah. So I feel like I'd also vote for Ron Reynolds for president. Yeah. Maybe he can run like 2020. Cool. It's on. So, anyways, I just thought it was like one of those interesting moments of like hot guys telling you something it sounds so much better but who knows if a not hot guy is saying (laughs) those words to you if it's actually resonating or not it's because because it's slightly different to one of our favorite moments in these teen shows is when a character with barely any experience who's giving advice to one of their friends it just seems totally ridiculous for this like he's older and he's cooler and clearly gets like any girl he wants you're like oh yeah this is good advice that's good hey he gets it he gets it. ryan reynolds gets it i'll just do those same things yeah <laughs> <laughs> hey yeah i'll do exactly what he's doing i mean he's he's killing it uh i feel yeah. he's also he's also doing a bit of back channeling with Kristen stewart in the blocking he's doing a lot he's doing a lot of he knows exactly how to push your buttons and his move the button he pushes is telling Kristen stewart that Jesse Eisenberg said he's in love with her. I know. And he just knows like that is the big red button I can press and it's going to freak her out and get her all up in her head and make her like instinctively push him away and not like be into it. Right. She has commitment issues. Such a fucking low key block by Ryan Reynolds. Um, Jesse Eisenberg, essentially they start dating Ryan Reynolds and a couple other factors contribute into them like having a big blowout breakup argument. And now we're at this scene where it's like shit's gone awry, whether it's Ryan Reynolds, all these factors, shit's gone awry. And I want to play a clip of them having this like breakup argument where Jesse Eisenberg and Kristen Stewart are going through it. Here it is. How did you find me here? Lisa P told me that Connell used to take some other girl here last summer his mother's basement. Right. Yeah, I just, like, don't understand um, how you could do this. I came here to 
Uh-huh. I know, I know I fucked up too, okay? I fucked up one time and I fucking told you about it and you... You think I'm like some like fucking pathetic idiot or something. You're not a fucking idiot. I'm a fucking idiot. Yeah, that's right. I just thought it was great acting. Yeah, no. Great acting in that breakup scene. Across the board. Yeah. I love Kristen Stewart. <laughs> Guilty. Yeah, they both stabbed each other super hard, super quick. It wasn't drawn out. It was just brutal. But and... then they were like self-deprecating at the same time. Like, no, I suck. I suck worse. Mm-hmm. And it was like... Burn on you, but burn on me too. Yeah. I thought it was great acting, great culminating breakup scene. And then I just thought the movie, it lagged a little bit at the end. Mm. It went on like, it was fat at the end by like 20 to 30 minutes. They hit a couple important things that they needed to do to wrap this movie up. And I think they did them, but they just spent a little, like too long doing it. The first one yeah. was Jesse Eisenberg with his friends, like hanging out, just kind of like accepting the whole situation and being like, you know what? Kind of a bummer. Still a really interesting summer. I learned a lot. I grew a lot. Not going to Europe was probably a better thing for me in my life. Right. That needed to happen. Yes. The second thing that needed to happen was he needed to see, he needed to have some closure with Kristen Stewart because she leaves, she quits the park. He doesn't see yeah. her, does not talk to her. It's 87. They don't have cell phones. Right. She goes to New York. Goes to New York. Um, they're both going to school in New York, so they know that they're going to be there in the fall. Yep. And so there just needs to be closure because you're just you know, left hanging. Anyways, he tracks her down somehow in New York. Cue the rain. Rain scene. On this, these two podcasts are sitting in this podcast studio, haven't experienced rain. So when we say there's a little, in a while, when we say there's a little fat on the end of this movie, this is not what we're talking about. This no. scene is critical. We fast forward through the fat, and then we get to the fucking rain. They're both in New York. They've had this big breakup. They're no longer working at Adventureland, the park. Now they're back into real life in New York, in the rain, and then this clip happens. No, James, I am so sorry. For fucking this up. You know, you were the only good thing that happened this summer. I think I maybe see you a little differently than, than you see yourself. Yes, I see, I see the person who fucked up, but I, I also see the person who saved me from being knifed over a giant-ass panda. Who introduced me to psychotropic chocolate chip cookies. And who stood up for Joel. And who doesn't make apologies for herself. My, my theory is you, you can't just avoid everybody you screw up with. Mmm. <laughs> That's good stuff. Mm. God, if I had a dime for every time I have not told a girl something poignant in that moment like that, dude. Yeah. God, I'd be so rich with dimes. Shit. He probably has been thinking about that line for months. Like the whole drive up oh, to yeah. New York. Had he's like, ch- all right, yeah. I'm going to see her. Like, he's a writer, you know. He, had he probably a had that in the bag, yeah. Yeah. He had it chambered, uh, but I loved it. Fucking awesome scene. They're soaking wet in the rain. I mean, it's just obvious advice. If you have to apologize to anyone for anything, especially a girl, mm-hmm. do it in the rain. Oh my God. Check the forecast. Make sure it's going to rain. Time it up. I mean, just get a little, don't, don't be afraid to get a I little totally wet. I totally agree. You know? I totally agree. You can't be afraid. Yeah. Put some galoshes on. Yeah. Gear up. Gear up. 
Fucking put that yellow raincoat on, go out in the rain and just pour your heart out because all those one-liners, they just work so much better in the fucking rain. And then the movie ends where all of it culminates. She kind of takes them back. Just as they're about to have sex, the movie cuts to black. It's kind of like a little open-ended. So we realize we can make our own assumptions on where it went. My assumption is they fucked. I'd say. Well, they were getting naked on the screen with the black. So, <laughs> so it really wasn't, wasn't a big leap on that. Uh, I made just a simple... <laughs> it wasn't really an assumption. It was just I followed the plot as the movie ended. And I got to say, had that movie not been 20 minutes fat at the end, along with the costume director fucking up the 80s attire... That movie would have been a 97%. That to me, those are the two things that kept it at 88%. Because besides those two aspects, I love this movie. movie. I thought it was perfect. Loved it, dude. As it's all said and done, who do you have as the MVP of this movie, Pat? I hate to do this because it's just so obvious to do. Giving the main character of a movie the MVP. I don't like when you do that either. Yeah, it's just it's mainstream, but I got to do it. The MVP is Jesse Eisenberg, aka James Brennan. Mm-hmm. He gets the girl at the end. That's huge. I love the girl he gets too. Yeah. Big Kristen Stewart fan pre Twilight. He nails it. He goes through just like a gigantic personal growth. I feel throughout the entire summer. It's like, I feel like you have at least. Coming of age Three story. of those summers in your life, and they're critical. Yeah. Like, they're not always back-to-back. They don't happen all at the beginning of your childhood. They don't happen all at the end of your childhood. They're sprinkled in. We just, like, start off summer as one person, and then by the end of it, you feel like you've leveled up a couple times. Is that... Am I on uh, with that? No, I, I'm not. You just, now, like, no, have I'm a thinking. summer where it's just, like, all of a sudden, um, a little boy, and then I'm a little older. Yeah, I agree with that. So... I mean, besides the fact that he obviously gets the girl and does a lot of sweet movements throughout the movie to get her, my favorite part about it, and this is why he's getting that MVP, is because he starts the summer being this guy who just gets this weird degree from his school. He's just like a nerd, and he just wants to go to Europe. Cliche. He hasn't really like lived life. He has zero life experience, yep. but he wants to be a writer about how the world works. Oh, he started living. He started living, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Found out that life isn't about the end game of where you want to get to, dude. It's all about about the journey. The journey. It's about the journey. And the relationships that you build along the way, Pat. And when you're living that journey, Uh the best thing that you want to have on both of your legs (laughs) is a nice pair of Japanese traveler jeans. I can't imagine going on that journey without those jeans. So thank God for the entire industry of Japanese denim mm-hmm. pumping those jeans into our economy and the economy throughout the world. Japanese denim, we love you. And we just like to say, <laughs> your jeans, Japanese made, podcaster approved. Mm. God, they're pumping so much money into that economy and they're pumping so much money into this fucking podcast. Mm. God. So much money. The, the heights that we have soared to because of the fucking industry of Japanese denim. Oh, the heights. Oh, the heights. Thank you, Japanese denim. And once again, thank you to the kids. Thank you for listening. 
God, we covered a lot of explosive content. Kids, I know that now is the perfect time for you. You got to tuck on in. Those kids are tired, Pat. Those are tired kids. So kids, as you're tucking on in, you sleep tight. You have a very good night's sleep, kids. And as we wrap it up, Pat, what do you tell those kids? Clear eyes, full hearts. Do less, kids. Do way less. You can follow us on Instagram at Vicarious Living Podcast and listen to all of our episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. You know you found us when you see a picture of Pat and I sitting on a couple rocks overlooking the vast landscape that is Laguna Beach. Steven's there, just not pictured. Steven and Elsie, both there, just not pictured.